It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. Now, last Sunday morning, we were in John chapter 11 also, and we were talking about the resurrection of Lazarus. The account where Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus, he called Lazarus out. And we talked about the things that, that happened, or things that Jesus said while he was there. This morning, we're going to cover the aftermath, if you want to look at, look at it that way. What happened after the resurrection of Lazarus? And I want to speak to you this morning about responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. Responding to Him. Look, you know what kind of world we live in. And today, it's especially um, strange to see the happenings in our world. Uh, God has told us how bad it's going to get. And folks, we're there. You know, I heard a guy preaching this week, and he says, you know, we're not, we're not in the end times, we're in the end of the end times. So looking at the signs that are before us, we are looking very soon toward the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church by the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's going to bring us home to be with Him. I think, folks, literally it could be any moment and I know people have believed that all down through the ages, but the fulfillment of prophecy has not been so as it is today in the past. So today could be the day. So the question is going to be, how do you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you this. You know who He is. You've heard it time and time again. And you see what He does in the life of those who follow Him. You read of His miracles. You feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. How are you going to respond to the Lord Jesus? Because He's here. He's waiting. He's demanding a response from you. And He wants you to choose Him before it's too late. Imagine with me just for a moment if the rapture happened today. If the rapture happened today and you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to be sitting in this place with those who were left behind. Imagine that feeling. You were sitting here under the preaching and teaching of the Gospel, reading God's Word, and you missed out on going home to be with the Lord Jesus. Now you'll have a chance to repent after that, but you'll have to live through the tribulation period in which most likely you're going to lose your life. It's going to be a terrible time. So why wait? While Jesus is here, while He's asking for you to repent, and while you have the opportunity before the rapture, what are you going to do with the Lord Jesus? So after the, the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus commanded Lazarus to come forth. And beginning in verse 45, right before that, he said, Loose him and let him go. And we talked about how Lazarus came forth from the grave in his grave clothes. He walked to the door and Jesus commanded that they take the grave clothes off of him because he didn't need them anymore. No longer dead. New life he had. He would die again one day. But for that time, for that moment, Jesus had brought him back to life. So the aftermath, responding to what Jesus just accomplished, just did. 
Beginning in verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this, is, this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with His disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That He will not come to the feast? Now both the priests, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where He was, he should report it that they might seize him. Chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. They were made, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of His disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This He said, not that He cared for the poor, but because He was a thief and had the money box. And He used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. This morning we're going to look at four instances, four responses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, please. Our God and King, as we bow before You, we are expectant. We, we welcome You into our presence here in this church. Father, we ask that You teach us, that You guide us through Your Word, and that You lead us to make the right decision for You, to respond to You in the way that is honoring and glorifying to You. Lord God, I'm just asking this morning that You have Your way with us. Father, I ask for Your forgiveness. I pray now that You take this 
and speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So now Jesus, imagine the uproar that has gone on in and around Bethany or in Jerusalem when they hear the news that someone has been raised from the dead. This man had been dead four days. He was in the tomb, wrapped up with grave clothes, and yet Jesus stood outside and commanded him to come forth. And so now, everybody's talking about it. The news has spread abroad. As a matter of fact, the news went straight back to the chief priests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and they had a response to Jesus. They responded to Jesus in the way that I want you to know shouldn't be done But we see it so often these days. Let's look at how the Pharisees responded to Jesus. Go back to verse 47. Chapter 11, verse 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. They they said, man, we've got to get together and we've got to talk about this to see what we need to do. Because this is what they said. What shall we do? Do you hear the the panic in their voice? You see, that's what they say. This guy is upsetting the apple cart. This this guy, we can't do anything about him right now. Things that he's doing are supernatural because they, they, right after this, they say, hey, look, we see the miracles that he's done. What are we going to do? You know, we live in a world that is saying the same thing. But you know what they're doing? They have the power right now because the prince of the power of the air right now, the evil one, is controlling most of the world. But he has no power here in the name of Jesus. Now listen, what they said is we've got to do something about this. The things that he's doing, read that with me. What shall we do for this man works many signs? And the crazy thing is, they didn't believe the signs. You know why? It's because they had already made up their mind that they weren't going to change anything that they were, they were doing. They liked where they were. They were convinced that they were the truth and the life and that the law that they were abiding by would save them, which was wrong. And grace was present. The light of the world was present. And they decided... We won't believe our eyes. We won't believe our ears. We're going to stick to what we, what we have followed all of our life and we won't let this man change us. They denied the Son of God. Their unbelief, their denial, because they perceived Him as a threat. They said, He's going to take away everything we worked so hard for. And they were completely wrong. Yeah, they had worked for where they had gotten into their their status, their society. But Jesus wanted to perfect what they had been working on, as He did Paul. But they were unwilling. They denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they decided, hey, we've got to do something about this guy. Let's kill him. That's what they said. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. You know, they were, 
that was hyperbole. They, they were saying, this is the worst thing that could happen. You know, the Romans are going to come and squash us if this guy keeps preaching, which was not, a, was not true. And then verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. They decided, we've got to kill this guy. But listen to what happened in the meantime. There was a prophecy by the chief priest, Caiaphas, in verse 49. He says, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He prophesied that Jesus was going to die for Israel. And yet, he misinterpreted his own prophecy. You see, he, he heard that, he said that, he received it from the Lord, and the Lord gave it to him, but he didn't want to believe that it was for their benefit that Jesus... They were looking at the physical, natural world, and not the supernatural, not the spiritual world. You see, Jesus came to save them from their sins, and they says, no, the Messiah is supposed to come to save us from Rome. But Jesus knew what we needed most, we don't need to be saved from Rome. We don't need to be saved from our United States government. We need to be saved from ourselves. And you see, that's what Jesus came and died for. To perfect us so that we could, in turn, seek others to show them how He can perfect them. And then, as the nation of Christians grow, the nation will become more Christian. So they had murderous intent because they misunderstood this prophecy. The prophecy was that not only would he die for the nation of Israel, but he was going to die for everybody who would be a child of God. You see, in his interpretation of the children of God, it was just Israel. Nobody else. Because they hated the Gentiles. Anybody who wasn't an Israelite was a dog, a less than Israel. But, but he prophesied, Jesus is going to die for this nation and to gather together all the children of God. And yet, having the word of God on his lips didn't change him. He still stayed in the mindset of this is the way it's supposed to be and I'm not going to deviate from this no matter what I see or hear or what is spoken through me. You know the old saying about he, there's no one so blind as he who will not see. The Pharisees responded to Jesus in a negative, in a panicking way, in a, in a way of unbelief and denial, and then they responded with murderous intent. We're going to arrest him. Look at verse 57. They had commanded that if anyone knew where he was, they should report it that they might seize him. Now, starting in chapter 12. Let's look at Mary's response to Jesus. The Pharisees were well known for their hard-headedness, hard-heartedness, and how they withstood the work of God, the true work of God at that time. But now here's Mary. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. 
then Mary. Let me stop for just a minute and talk about Martha for a minute. Martha was, man, she was solid. Martha had faith. She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one that uh, was talking, Jesus was talking to her about him being the, the revelation in the life, the resurrection. And she believed it. Took a little more convincing because she was, she was thinking spiritually and Jesus was, was talking about the physical realm that he was going to raise her brother from the dead then. And then, she's in there serving the Lord Jesus. She's putting her talents to use. I mean, she knows how to cook. She knows how to take care of the house. And she's got a crowd in her house. So she's being the hostess that she's supposed to be. She's working for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was her gift. But she was missing out on a greater gift. As in one of the other passages of Scripture where Jesus rebuked her and says, Look, you're doing all these things and you're really busy. And, and all those things have to, have to be done, true enough. But Mary's here doing what the greater thing is. And in this instance, it says Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. How did Mary respond to Jesus? The first way that I looked at and saw that Mary responded to Jesus in humility. You see, she was bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ at His feet. Now, Mary, Martha was serving also, but she was in the kitchen doing all those things. She was making some progress. Mary, as everybody looked at it, she wasn't making any progress as far as getting things done, but she was right where she was supposed to be, at the feet of Jesus. She was right there. And the Scripture says she took 16 ounces of perfume. Now, ladies, don't put 16 ounces of perfume on before you come to church, okay? My allergies won't take, I mean, my, my sinuses won't take it. All right? Imagine that, 16 ounces of this wonderful smelling perfume. And she took it, and when she broke the cap, that meant she, you, know, that was, you were going to use it, and that was it. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Not only did she do that, but she wiped it off with her hair. Yeah, this stuff up here. That she had to wear home. That she, she, she wiped his dirty feet with her hair. Can, can you see how broken she was? Can, she wasn't worried about herself. All she was worried about was Jesus. And... Jesus' feet. Think about it now, the lowest part of Jesus, all right? If there's ever been a lower part of Jesus, his feet. Took his sandals off. He'd been walking on the dusty, dirty roads, and she cleaned his feet for him and then wiped them, dried them off with her hair. What sacrifice, what selflessness she had. Her response to Jesus was completely, exactly opposite of what the Pharisees had. You see, they wouldn't submit to anybody. They stood in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she bowed down at His feet and cleaned them. You know why? You know why she did that? 
You know why she was broken? You know why she was selfless? Because she was thankful for what Jesus had done for her. Hey, listen. When Jesus comes into your life, He changes you. You know what He does. He forgives you of your past. He forgives you of your sin. And He prepares you for everlasting life in heaven with Him. Who was Mary before this? We don't know for sure. But we do know that she didn't live a godly life. And that Jesus had forgiven her. She came to Him in humility because she was thankful of Jesus not rejecting her because of her past, but giving her a future, something to live for. And you see, her response of thankfulness, Jesus rewarded that. Listen to what Jesus said about her actions in verse 7 and 8. Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. He says these uh, this ointment, this anointing that she's done, it's like she's preparing me for death. You know what happened after Jesus died. They, they took all of these spices and they wrapped, wrapped Him up in grave clothes with those spices. And He says, this is what Mary is doing right now. She's preparing me for burial. Mary was thankful. She's had the opportunity to sacrifice for Him. Because, you know, it talks about how much that perfume costs. And a lot of people have said, you know, it's about a year's wages and that sort of thing. It's very, very expensive. But it was nothing to her compared to what Jesus had done for her. Now, the Pharisees responded with panic and unbelief and murderous intent. Mary responded in humility and sacrificially because she was thankful for what Jesus had done. Look with me now at what, at what Judas, how Judas responded to Jesus. In verse 4 of chapter 12, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas responded to Jesus with resentment. You see what happened? This was Mary. She, she took this very expensive perfume and she opened it up and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then she wiped it off, cleaning His feet and the whole house was filled with the fragrant scent of not only her sacrifice but literally the smell of the perfume. And Judas was mad. Wait a minute. You have wasted the perfume on the feet of Jesus. In his mind, Jesus wasn't worth that sacrifice. So he responded with resentment and jealousy. You have wasted all of this on him? And Judas's mindset was, Jesus has gone around the country and He is healing all these people who are not worthy of the gift that He has. They're not worthy to receive 
And they're not paying anything for this, by the way, because he was holding the money back. They, he's not earning a living the way that he could. He's not making the most of the profits that he could, that he could have. And it bothered him because the Scripture says he was a thief. And he used to help himself to what was in the money bag. You see, all he thought about was the profit that would come from the ointment. Not, he wasn't worried about Jesus. All he was worried about was the contents of that bag that he toted. So when he responded to Jesus, it was of no concern to him what Jesus did. All he was worried about was his pocketbook. He responded to him, to this waste on Jesus, and that led him to anger against the Lord Jesus, which led him to betray the Lord Jesus. Judas responded with resentment and jealousy, and then in anger, which led to his betrayal. The Pharisees responded, with murderous intent. Mary responded with humility and self-sacrifice. Judas responded with resentment and jealousy. Now let's look at Lazarus. As the Scripture goes on, verse 9 of chapter 12, Now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. How did Lazarus respond to the Lord Jesus? Now, hey, the Scripture doesn't say this, okay? This is something that I have interjected that I believe that is true. Because of what the Scripture says, when Lazarus was brought forth from the grave, he was a great witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only because people saw him, knowing that he had been dead for four days, many of them saw him come up out of the grave. Imagine for just a moment the boldness that you would have if you had already conquered the grave. To Lazarus, the threats of the Pharisees didn't bother him. He said, hey, look, I've already died. And Jesus is the master of death. And He brought me back. He brought me back for a purpose. And He was fulfilling that purpose. He was going around. I'm sure, I'm positive, this is what most anybody would do being in that situation. He was wanting people to ask Him who He was and why He was talking about Jesus. Let me tell you, I was dead I died. I was in the grave four days. Now, we can, we can guess at where he went. You know, the Scripture says at that time there was paradise, and, and there was another man named Lazarus who Jesus told about who had died and went into the presence of Abraham, in the bosom of Abraham, in paradise. Now, imagine if you had been there for four days. I did that without trying. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. If you had been where he had been for four days... And then you had the opportunity to tell somebody, look, I was dead, I went here, and now I'm back because Jesus called me back. And He, He is the reason. He has done this for me. And He wants to do it for you. 
And His life, His everlasting life is available to you. His sacrifice that's coming up, what He has done, He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He has power over death, hell, and the grave, and He wants you to experience it. Here is Lazarus with boldness because he wasn't afraid of death. He'd been there. And he was back to talk about his experience. He was showing himself and telling everybody that he came in contact with, let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about the resurrection. He's right over here. His name is Jesus. He brought me back from the grave. And He can do the same thing for you. Let me tell you, your response to Jesus, your response to Jesus must be like Mary's, or like Lazarus's, or like both. Because you see, when He saves you, when He forgives you of your sins, look, y'all don't know me that well. I had not been a, a good person all my life. Not that I'm good now. I didn't mean to say it like that. But I have been in bad places. I have done bad things. And Jesus forgave me of those things. He didn't... He paid the price for those things 2,000 years ago. And when I accepted His sacrifice for my sins, He cleansed me and washed me clean and made me ready to spend eternity with God Almighty in heaven. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. And it gives me boldness because I don't care about dying. I'm not worried about that. Death is a promotion for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we get to leave this old wicked, sinful world and we get to go be with Him. Which is why we were put here to start with. So let me ask you this question. How are you responding to Jesus? Right now. Right here. In this place. You see, you can be like the Pharisees and you can, you can give Him the stiff arm and say, you know, not right now, Jesus. Uh, you know, I don't have time for that. I've got other things that I plan to do. Uh, you know, I don't believe that you are the Son of God. All of those things. You can, you can plot against Jesus with your own life. You can respond to Him in humility like Mary did. You know, some people are resentful toward Jesus. Some people will say, well, why does God do this? And why does God do that when bad things happen? And they don't understand that God doesn't know us anything, but He allows us mercy and grace. He wants us to choose Him. He wants to bless us, but we have to do things His way, which, are, which is easy, by the way, when we give Him our life. And then we could go forth boldly, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ like Lazarus did, Telling people, look what Jesus did for me. So what's your response today? What are you going to do? Knowing that Jesus is life. Knowing that He died for your sins as a sacrifice in your place so that you could have forgiveness of sins and that you could have everlasting life. Are you going to reject that? Or will you accept it and call Him Lord, Master, Savior? Today, nobody can make that decision for you. It's 
an individual, personal decision. But you have to, you'll have to respond one way or the other. Because you know, you feel it right now. You're feeling the Holy Spirit asking you that very question. How have you responded to Jesus? Let me invite you to accept Him as Lord and Savior this morning. Let's pray together, please. Our God and King, again, we bow before You because You are Lord of all. Creator, You are the sustainer. You are the provider. You are the lover of our souls. And Father, even now, You are asking for those who don't know Christ as Savior and Lord to come and receive the forgiveness of sins that His sacrifice has bought for them. And to receive everlasting life that Jesus has provided. Father, we bow to Your will and Your way. We ask that Your will be done in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, Amen.